Hello and welcome to Expound. I'm Josh Davis, the pastor at Winfield Community Church. Thank you for joining me today. We are in Daniel chapter 5 still. We've been in Daniel chapter 5 now for a couple of weeks. Uh, We're working our way through the book of Daniel. We're just about done with it. We'll be done with it here in just a couple more weeks. But today with Daniel chapter 5, it's the story of the writing on the wall. It's the story of King Belshazzar and uh, how he is overthrown by King Darius. A couple of things in that book that maybe we mentioned during our our Sunday sermons, but uh, that I'd like to talk about a little bit more at length. But um, the, the one thing I want to talk about today is the idea that a temporary distraction is not a solution. So if we read in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So if we look at history uh, and we look at the Bible, we know that at the end of Daniel chapter 5, we, we see this, we see the king throwing the party, then we have the writing on the wall, then we have Daniel interpreting the, the writing, and at the very end of all of that, this very night, the night of the party, Belshazzar uh, loses his life. And so it is likely, almost positively, that uh, Belshazzar knew that he was going to battle, that that he was being surrounded by the enemy and should have been preparing for battle. And so it's interesting that we see him throwing a party to begin with. That seems like a, a bad idea when you're being surrounded by an enemy. Um, I guess the, the Medes and the Persians could have somehow successfully surrounded the entire city at night without being detected, but it would seem to me that the force required to overthrow the greatest city in the world at its time would be a pretty massive force. So logically we can kind of conclude that Belshazzar likely knew that he was being surrounded. He was probably either overconfident that he was the king of this great city Babylon and didn't think he could fall, or He was trying to dull the senses to prepare for what would eventually become defeat anyway. But regardless, the reality of it is he was not focused. He was not preparing his troops for battle. He was not getting ready for the battle that was to come. And this is so true in in everyday life where we know that the enemy is surrounding us. And if you're not aware of the fact that the enemy is surrounding us, then I would ask that you pay a little closer attention to what's going on in the world around us. But as Christians, the enemy is surrounding us. As as followers of Christ, the enemy has been circling and circling for years and years, and he is getting closer and closer, and he is preparing for battle, and we should be as well. So the first thing I want to mention to you is to prepare in advance, to get ready for things in advance of them happening. 
far too often we find ourselves being reactive rather than proactive. We need to be much more proactive in our lives. We need to train for spiritual warfare. We need to be prepared for spiritual battle, and we need to be ready to stand up and fight. We need to be doing that well in advance of the enemy attacking. If we wait until the enemy is knocking on our door, we have likely already uh, succumbed to him and failed. So the first thing I want you to take away is I want you to be in constant preparation. And how do we do that? Well, we spend time in the Word of God. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in community, in fellowship with other believers, encouraging one another and praying for each other that that we will be ready when the enemy comes knocking. The next thing I want to ask you to do is to be on the lookout for a solution. When the enemy attacks, the the Bible tells us that God will make a way of escape. No temptation has overtaken us, but God is faithful, and with temptation, he will always provide a way of escape, a way to get out of a situation that on a spiritual level we should not find ourselves in. So we need to be looking for a solution, not a distraction. If we're looking for a solution, that means we're looking for a way to solve the problem, not a way to go around the problem, not a way to avoid the problem. When when we're solving a problem, we are facing it and we are applying solution metrics to that problem. We are attempting to solve an issue. We're not just turning a blind eye to it. We're not denying its very existence. We are getting our hands dirty. We are looking at the problem in front of us, and we are throwing whatever we can at it to come up with a solution. And I find that in Christian circles especially, we oftentimes, rather than looking for a solution, we are turning a blind eye to problems more regularly than we ought to, more regularly than we're looking for a solution. We are ignoring the fact that a problem exists. We are completely content to live in the mess that we have created and not clean any of it up. We look at the the life that we've built and we find ourselves completely content. We say, well, God just doesn't work in those ways anymore, and and it's okay that I don't see miracles happening around me. It's okay that I don't see people coming to Christ because the enemy is just so strong. And how I'm, I'm here to tell you, folks, we need to find a solution, and we need to throw all of our energy at the problem. The problem is real. The problem is serious. And if we are not actively fighting against it, we are not going to have much success. And then the last thing that I really can't stress enough, but we see Belshazzar here, not only is he distracting himself from the problem, not only is he wasted an extreme amount of time uh, to prepare for battle, but the last thing he does is he completely and outrightly disrespects God. 
He takes the things that God has called holy, he takes the things from the holy temple of God, and he defiles them. He uses them in ways that they were never meant to be used. He uses them in ways that are completely opposed to how God has commanded they be used. He uses uh, sacramental cups, goblets, whatever you want to call them, things that were designed for worship and sacrifice, and he uses them to party. He uses them for pleasure. He uses them for personal gain. And when I look at the church, when I look at the world around us, there are things that God has called holy. There are things that God has called us to as Christians, and he has set them apart as different, as special, and as holy. And we use them for personal gain. We use them for personal pleasure. And we abuse the holy things that God has given us. And if history truly repeats itself, if God reacts in any such similar way when we are defiling the things that he is called holy, how do we expect him to react to us? You see, God had his hand of favor on Belshazzar, at least for a time. Whether Belshazzar found himself to be a believer or not, whether Belshazzar uh, cared to know anything about God or not, doesn't matter. God definitely had his hand of favor on him because of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, at the end of his reign and at the end of his life, um, repented and, and humbled himself before God, and because of that, God had had favor on them. And it's not until Belshazzar chooses to defile the holy things of God's temple that God says, enough is enough. And that very night, he not only removed him from his kingdom, but he took his life. So I think it's really important and really serious to understand that the things God has called holy, the things God has called us to as Christians, if we're not taking them seriously, the hand of favor that God has had on his church for so many years, he's going to, I don't want to say he's going to remove it, but he is going to distance him, not even that, he's not going to distance himself. Through the process of us defiling his holy things, we are distancing ourselves from God. And when we find ourselves further and further away from God, we look around and we say, where even is he? And when we lose sight of where God is, everything else ceases to matter. Everything we do as a church no longer matters. Fellowshipping together doesn't matter if we're not worshiping God. Coming to church on a Sunday doesn't matter if we're not genuinely and truthfully from the bottom of our hearts worshiping God. We need to respect God and keep holy the things that are his. Sorry for my phone going off. It's uh, I forgot to put it on silent when I sat down. But uh, anyway, that's all I have for today. Uh, I hope it gives you something to think about and uh, I'm... I'm certain that there are things that even I have kind of lost sight of that God has said, keep these things holy, and we have fallen short in that. And so I would pray that as a church, we would ask God to reveal those things to us and that we would repent of that and that we would 
uh, reestablish the holiness of the things that God has called us to. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.